This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's a Sunday kind of love and I'm Maya Tan. Welcome. Now, yesterday, the 21st of March, we celebrated World Poetry Day. And one of the more inspiring stories that came out of that one was the hashtag pay with a poem. So this was a movement started by Julius Meinl, a coffee roasting company founded in 1862. And uh, they used this campaign to mark UNESCO's World Poetry Day with a promotion in 1,100 cafes, bars and restaurants across 23 countries, mostly in continental Europe, but including the UK, the US and Australia, where they would offer a cup of coffee to any customer who hands over one of their own original poems. So I guess this move was a nod to struggling writers all over the world with the message that for one day, art could be currency for sustenance. And I'm so inspired by that. You know, wouldn't that be nice if our favourite coffee shops did the same? We spend so much on our on our white coffees and lattes and fancy chinos. How about a little payback, right? So anyway, today we'll be making our own form of poetic justice to the poets of the world. I've got quite the lineup today. Our favourite poet on the show, Will Beale, will be joining me in just a moment. Our theme today is Speak Up, Speak Out. And our poetry enthusiasts will be sharing poems on a variety of topics that touch their hearts. I've got Susan Lancaster coming on. I've got Rina Omar. Oh, and here's Will Beale, right on time. Welcome back. Thank you. Thanks for having me. World Poetry Day. Right. I just thought it would be great to have you back, you know, to read us some more of your pieces and also just to talk a little bit about your relationship with poetry and how it all began. Yeah, sure. That sounds great. So how did it all begin with poetry? What got you drawn in? How did you fall in love with it? And what kind of relationship do you have with it now? Mm. Actually, um, what happened is it first started with uh, just some YouTube videos from Andrea Gibson and Rudy Francisco. And I think that's how I got pulled in. Uh, YouTube is uh, is one heck of a place. And from there, um, friends showing me other uh, videos um, and just people talking about poetry. Um, that's how I first heard about uh, Elaine Foster and Poetry Cafe KL, Big Fish, all the local poetry scene uh, happenings in KL. And from there, I just pretty much fell in love with it. Um, and before this, I was doing all sorts of things like acting, writing, a little bit of directing every now and then. So it was just something that came natural to me where I got to speak my own stories and act them out rather than um, act out someone else's stories. And it's just from there, it's been more natural. And um, yeah, haven't looked back since. Mm -hmm. So you've been writing a lot of poetry um, since when? Since I was young, I'd say. Actually, during secondary school, that's when I first got into it. Um, but it was just a, one of those things you do during literature class or whatever. Never took it seriously. And then I found out about spoken word, um, performance poetry. And from there, I just started writing. And I think my first piece was called Tongue Tied. Cliche love poem was what it was. but it <laughs> We've was, all had those. Yeah. <laughs> But from there, it just kind of sprouted this idea that you could write whatever you want and speak it out and people would be interested, which mm -hmm. was kind of new to me. Yeah. Yeah. And you've got a book coming out next month. Yes, I do. Um, it'll be coming out early April. Working title. <laughs> it's, uh, it's a little bit uh, rough right now, but um, working title for now is They Called Me Loud. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm publishing with the lovely Perfect Binding Press. Okay, we'll look out for it. It's going to be available in major bookstores. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, it will be. Okay, Correct. and you've got a couple of pieces for us today. Yeah. Tell us about the first one. Uh, the first one would be called How to Be an Audience, and it's all about my first time teaching uh, poetry to kids as a poetry educator. And I was teaching these incredible kids who I was really impressed with. And from that, just felt I felt really inspired because... I was actually performing um, at their spoken word poetry slam. So I got to teach them momentarily and and, and see them grow up um, in terms of their writing skills. And then I got to perform for them and they had got to perform for me. Mm. So this really cool moment. Um, and so, yeah, this is called How to Be an Audience. It also stems from Malaysian audiences don't understand what snapping or clapping or making noise is when someone's performing. If you've ever been to a festival or a concert, it doesn't matter. People are pretty mellow. So it's all about getting the energy up. Um, during poetry, that's what we love. We love to hear snaps. We love to hear... So yeah, this is oh, called... I never knew that. I always yeah. thought, you know, you had to be silent in order to show respect. I think it's a mixture. Different poets prefer different things. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically, a lot of the people in KL, at least, we prefer to hear feedback instantaneously. And actually, the history... Yeah, I should probably let you guys know this. Um, the history of snapping is all about letting someone know uh, that you felt that line. So when someone's performing and you snap, it's also because if you clap, it's kind of rude. But if you snap, you can still uh, hear each other and you can also let them know that you really felt that line. So if I say something about my past or something that really connects with you, um, then you can snap and feel, and I feel appreciated. I feel, okay, that's that's what connects with people. That's nice. That's like a code of appreciation. It is, yeah. Snapping. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I thought it was really pretentious when I first came in. I was like, what is this? And then I realized, no, it's it's, it's just a it's another way of, of speaking to the poet. So a bit of a um, poet culture right there. <laughs> so uh, when you wrote this, it, it was just, you know, from that experience that you had uh, yeah. teaching. Yes. Right. Okay. And it's called? It's called How to Be an Audience. Take it away. You. Yeah, you. (laughs) You can be loud. Right now, yeah, right now, you can be loud. If you want to sound your happiness, go ahead. I want you to know that you can, you can be loud. You can shout your brain vomit out. This one-way stream of consciousness is a waste of mental lawlessness, so press pause on this. Instead of watching your lives become our voices, you can let your crickets out. Cause if you let yourself become the warden to your warring somber morning, then that's when our fear begins. Speaking to an empty room is the first sign of mirrored sins and madness. And I know we all have our crazies, but lately, these days, I'm trying to keep them in my rib cage. So, so be loud. Be the origin of the snapping of fingers. Be a metaphor for letting the concepts linger. In Greenwich Village, be the beatniks beating back culture in basements. Be the Romans snapping muscles, laying out bloody carpets of amazement. They knew that it is not illegal for you to sound your sirens of welcome. Don't you see? 
Your friends, your fellow voices are up here finding something to believe in. Your sons and daughters of sound are no longer silent. Will you join them? Tune your fork, yeah, to the same sound. Let your words resonate their vows. Listen to these brass knuckle bass lines. Do you not wish to become their chorus? Watch your thoughts become our words, become your voices, become loud. Be loud while you watch the mic. Find the one buried in your throat. Turn it on and let your message be known. We are in this together, you and I. Make yourself a stand. Turn your seat into a stage. Your hands are instruments of destruction or creation. Crash into them every chance you have. Your instruments be gunshots. They be roses. They be bullets, we be the target. They pierce us, burn us brighter. Your houses hold Cupid's arrows, empty them into us. They be praise, we be undeserving. We be burning for your bursts, yearning for discerning voices. Noiseless nights be so bright, I be wide-eyed to these delights. I be a speaker, you the electrical bill. Turn me up, watch your ideological currency rise. Rights into lights, into white noise, can you? Can you hear this, girls and boys? We, we be loud, but we still be waiting. Waiting until the day your voices match ours, until the stage drops down, until this microphone reaches your mouth, until our lives become your voices, until you speak our seats into a standing ovation, our microphones a drowning sailor, each clap a new savior, each snap of fingers a soul that just took flight, each howl and scream of fortune a feeling that we no longer harbor. We already spoke it out into the night. Until we can say, look, in between the alley cats and the cat calls, we sound an awful lot the same, you and I. Because if you close your eyes and put your ears to a wall of sound, can you still tell one brick from another? And until the day governments cannot distinguish our skin color, our parents stop noticing the orientation of who we make horizontal correlations with, and our sons of war are made prisoners of peace. Until our words inspire revolution in a generation waiting for quick pull, point, sweet, release. Maybe this is all we have for now. So lay your bricks. Cement them with your tongued voices, noises that we so wish to build our world around. In the meantime, you be loud, but you ask yourself to listen, and listen close. Do our bricks not all sound the same in our stages and in our seats? Are we not sharing our voices? Are we not laying the foundations for the next masterpiece to be complete? Have you always had a good relationship with the audience? Um, yeah. I mean, I've always felt comfortable on stage. Uh, my first musical I was in, well, I didn't always feel comfortable on the stage. My first musical was actually about 3,000 people in front of me. Um, and that was insane. Um, scariest thing I've ever done. From there, it just gets better. Um, the first time I, I performed poetry, it was incredibly scary because it was no longer a script that I was 
reading or, or reciting out, it was my story, which is always a lot more scary because it's the truth. But I mean, from there, it's I think speaking to any wannabe poets, any writers who are looking to pick up poetry, it's just a matter of getting out there and performing. And I have a lot of people coming towards me and saying, "Look,、um, can you take a look at this poem? Can you tell me what you think?" And I just keep telling them, "Just go and perform it, and then you'll know,、um, because that's how everyone does it. It's just a matter of how do you want to sound, and how do people react to that." I've also always wondered about written poetry, yeah, and performed poetry, yeah, because when you write poetry. There's always a chance that it sounds different、yeah. uh, to the reader, to the person who's reading it in his head,、mm. or her head, or reading it out loud. How do you reconcile that, or do you even consider that when you're writing? It is something that we consider.、Uh, we actually call it page and stage. So it's something that we we write poetry for the page or the stage, and then sometimes we can do both, and sometimes it's a matter of finding the the distance between the two and bridging those gaps.、Um, sometimes. Three-minute slam poems are three-minute slam poems, and they don't deserve to be on the page because it's meant to be evoked by a person.、Um, if you don't have that voice, if you don't have that feel and vibe and energy between the audience and the, and the speaker, then you kind of lose the poem. Sometimes you have a have a five-line poem, and you're not going to perform that for an audience.、Um, But it depends. I mean, there's no rules. There's there's nothing that that says you can't do anything. So it's just a matter of trying things out and seeing what works. There's also the dynamics of volume, of、mm. rhythm, yeah, timing in poetry, yeah, and it's very very similar to music. Yes. Any other correlations you want to tell us about? Um, definitely rhythm, definitely rhyme as well, but. I mean, when I sit down and and tell students、uh, who are learning poetry, like for example, they'll look at Shakespeare at a sonnet, they'll look at a、um, a four line stanza, and they'll say, "Okay, this is poetry," and then they'll write a short story with rhythm, and they'll say, "This is a short story,"、mm. and I say, "No, that's that's a poem. That's something you can perform as long as it's honest."、Um, I think in general, there's a lot of elements of truth in spoken word. And there's a lot of elements and themes of of problems of current issues, social issues that 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 crop up, but there's really no hard and fast rule to any of this. For example, hip hop.、Um, if you take out the beat, you know, it's pretty much poetry right there. And if you put music to a poem, you know, who says what what that is? I mean, some people call it talk music, actually. So there's all kinds of genres you want to talk about, yeah. We'll be back with more from Will Beale on a Sunday kind of love by Maya Tan, BFM 89.9. Welcome back. I have Will Beal here in the studio with me. Today we're paying homage to World Poetry Day, so we're going to take a listen to a poem、uh, read by a good friend of mine. Her name is Susan Lancaster. You know, I kind of recorded this previously, and I thought I'd discuss it with you.、Yeah. This poem is by an unknown poet, but it has to do with the effervescent female who's light and powerful and heavy、mm. at the same time, and. And well, let's just take a listen, and then you know, have a chat about it after. 
My name is Susan Lancaster, and I'm reading a piece which I call The Goddess's Mantra. It's by an unknown, unknown person, and I think this calls out to every single woman in the world. Um, I don't need to explain it, because I think if you hear what this wonderful person's written, everybody will be in tune with this particular piece that I'm going to read. Have you always had a relationship with poetry? It's not poetry, it's just words, really. Having a relationship with words, be it script form for TV, film, or uh, theater, books, um, writing letters, which nowadays we don't do anymore, so it's emailing, but I used to love writing letters, because especially when you're away at school, letters are the best things in the morning when they call out your name, you know, Susan Lancaster, you have a letter, and you go up, run up, and, and it's either from... <laughs> you know, friends or boyfriends or family or whatever, and it's the best thing ever. And I really do miss that because emails coming in is usually bills nowadays mm-hmm. or work. People don't really write emails as in like in letter form. It's sort of quick, like, hi, how are you doing? And I just thought of you because of whatever, whatever, and then don't send, you know. So I kind of miss that, that snail mail connection that we used to have. And I feel that what I'm going to read is something similar to what I miss um, in the old days where we, when we wrote letters, we really wrote letters and it would be just us pouring our hearts out in a letter to our best friend who's like halfway around the world or to our lover at the time or even to a mother or a father or a brother just to say that we miss them. And then we tell them what we've been doing for the past two weeks or sometimes it's, we're just feeling really shitty and we just write a letter to someone because we know that when they open it up, they will read it. And we're being heard. And there's also a greater sense of privacy and closeness with the letter. Totally. Because it's the whole energy. The writing is alone. That ink or biro, whatever, and the paper, everything goes into... Sometimes I would spray perfume or there, sometimes it would be a day like I feel like writing on purple paper or sometimes I want to write on black but with silver ink. Everything there is a message. It's mm-hmm. all in tune of how we are feeling at that moment in time. And I think... Um, being in tune is key to what this piece is also about. All right, take it away. The Mantra This is for the gentle goddesses with watery, emphatic hearts who ooze with oodles of compassion, eager to soothe another's suffering. This is for the luscious ladies with restless spirits who can't stay in one place for long because our souls are winged, always longing for adventure. Yes, this is just for us. The free-spirited females with fiercely sensitive hearts. We are a balmy breeze, casually caressing arms, lovingly. Suddenly here, suddenly there, then suddenly gone. We are a thousand grains of precious pink sand, slowly slipping through soft fingertips, one by one. We can never be contained, because we aren't meant to be. We were born to ride the wild winds of passion, surf the turbulent oceans of despair, and relentlessly explore the great vastness of this crazy world, until our bodies collapse in ecstatic exhaustion. We understand deeply that life is a heartbreakingly beautiful series of goodbyes, hellos, triumphs and disappointments, and we feel most alive in the midst of transformation. 
courageously shedding our old skin to be birthed again, raw and new. We are well-versed in letting go, able to boldly exhale and swiftly set fire to the past, painstakingly gathering the ashen wisdom to build a more abundant future. We are phoenixes, falcons, eagles and butterflies. We are light and airy, yet never lacking depth. We are carefree and sparkly, but our effervescence actually emanates from caring so deeply, from feeling the world's pain, happiness, love, sadness, and struggle wildly to pulsate within our chests, day in and day out. We are spongy emotional barometers picking up on another's mood immediately, sensing anxiety, anger, grief, frustration, and jealousy, feeling it so damn intensely that sometimes we suffocate. We crave alone time, solo adventures, secret places and quiet spaces because the world can seem so scary and overwhelming that we wonder if it could, in fact, swallow us entirely in one single gulp. We love wholly, compassionately and completely, but never possessively. We have to fly away sometimes, darting out in the velvet black of night, because we know that by setting ourselves free, we can set others free too. We deeply respect our femininity, listening closely to the whispering wisdom of our intuition, the mystical murmurs of our ancestors and the primal pulse of nature. We feel most alive outside, wings fully spanned, feeling the firm ground beneath our feet, welcoming the fiercest winds to whirl through our wispy hair. We are fierce warriors, forced to be reckoned with, precisely because we are so sensitive. My gentle and free-spirited sisters, I hear your feathery roar. Let us spread our wings and soar. Let us fly long and fast and hard. Let us fly unapologetically into the incredible lives we are meant to live. Let us vow now never to turn our backs on the wise contents of our fabulously free-spirited and fantastically sensitive souls. That was it. It made me cry when I first read it. Amazing. Um, for such an anonymous poet, it would be like really interesting to just hear more of his work and also just understand where he was coming from and where she was coming from with that. Right. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, your first instinct was that it was written by a man. Yeah. It would have been someone quite sensitive and in tune with the female being. Yeah. It, it actually kind of reminded me of like the romantic period. That's where a lot of the poetry, it was all about the forms, because it all came back to um, sort of Greek philosophy of, of the forms of womanhood would be one of the big ones as well. And likening a woman to a bird um, is something that's very interesting. I don't think it's been encapsulated in many poems before, so that was cool to hear. I think in poetry scenes, we always talk about taking back one line from the poem um, whenever you hear a poem. Even if you can't grasp the entire or all of the um, amazing little lines and words and things that came with it, it's just encapsulating that one line that really connected with you. Um, so for me, that was like, this is just for us. One of the first few lines from that poem. And that was really hard hitting as well. And then it went into all these sort of metaphors for womanhood in general. The one line from that poem that was sticky for me is the line that says, we can never be contained because we aren't meant to be. 
And I really like how it describes women and how we sometimes work ourselves up to ecstatic exhaustion. I think that's a state we like to be in. And, you know, there's a lot of visual imagery, feathers flying, and I saw a lot of colours. Just beautiful. It's cool. Mm. Do you have any favourites in terms of the different poetic eras? Actually, my favourite still Lord Byron. I think the first poem that really made me fall in love with poetry was The Destruction of Snasherib. Um, just because the rhythm with that poem was just incredible. the How evocative it was. Mm. And also just the way it slips off the tongue, um, the rhythm. It's just incredible, yeah. I think my favourite from Byron would be She Walks in Beauty. She walks in beauty like the night of cloudless climes and starry skies. Very romantic. Yeah, love that poem. And you know, you're right. One of his signature things is his dedication to rhyme and rhythm, which you don't always find. And I think increasingly um, with, you know, the more experimental forms of poetry coming into play, we don't see so much of that anymore. Yeah. I've got another one for you. Yeah. Uh, another friend of mine, Rina Omar, uh, very kindly read something for me. She's had an accident, oh, so she okay. couldn't come into the studio, and so I had to call her and record the reading. Oh, okay. She's this wonder woman who mm. climbs mountains, lifts weights. Wow. She's nice. physically fit, you know, like <laughs> <laughs> as in the song. And yeah. and then the next thing you know, she goes has a walkabout tamantun and falls and breaks her toe. <gasps> oh, okay. This goes out to her then. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, my name is Rina, Rina Omar. And uh, I was a TV host, a radio DJ and MC. And currently, I am a professional tree hugger. I run an environmental NGO. <laughs> okay, this is an excerpt from uh, one of my favorite poets, who is Maya Angelou. And it's called A Brave and Startling Truth. Well, it's really long actually, but I'm going to read you the best part of it, I feel, which is the second half of it. Why did I choose this piece? Well. A lot of her pieces actually speak to me about very different things in life from love and, and nature and such. And this is about about people and about the planet we live on and it relates to me and how I feel about this planet and what, what my species is doing about this planet which isn't very nice actually and how we need to just, you know, get our heads screwed on straight, <laughs> basically. So this is an excerpt from A Brave and Startling Truth by Maya Angelou. When we come to it, we, this people, on this minuscule and kithless globe, who reach daily for the bomb, the blade, and the dagger, yet who petition in the dark for tokens of peace. We, this people, on this moat of matter, in whose mouths bite cankerous words which challenge our very existence, yet out of these same mouths come songs of such exquisite sweetness that the heart falters in its labor, 
and the body is quieted into awe. We, this people, on this small and drifting planet, whose hands can strike with such abandon that in a twinkling, life is sapped from the living. Yet those same hands can touch with such healing, irresistible tenderness that the haughty neck is happy to bow and the proud back is glad to bend. Out of such chaos, of such contradiction, we learn that we are neither devils nor divines. When we come to it, we, this people, on this wayward floating body, created on this earth, of this earth, have the power to fashion for this earth, a climate where every man and every woman can live freely without sanctimonious piety, without crippling fear. When we come to it, we must confess that we are the possible. We are the miraculous, the true wonder of this world. That is when, and only when, we come to it. Isn't it so awesome? <laughs> oh, it strikes a chord in my soul every time I read it. <laughs> Beautiful poem. I mean, the, the problem with Maya Angelou is that it's Maya Angelou. I mean, there's no one line from, from that you can just take back. Um, and that was just an excerpt, you know, and yeah. I, the hair on my, my arms kind of like just stood up. Yeah, exactly. I love the way she selects words mm. and puts them together. Mm. The biggest descriptor that comes to mind right now is poetic yeah, you know yeah. like and you know I'm, I'm failing at this so no. <laughs> i think it's also the economy of words it everything is so tight it's yes so tightly packed. and so exact yes exactly you know th using the word fashioned you know mm. like you know it, it was all just put together so well so yeah. powerful and the messages were there i mean there isn't even a storyline but it's just told in a way that just draws you in yeah we yeah. the people right yeah. It's the story of humanity. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it also makes you feel empowered somehow by her words. Yeah. She has that effect on people, yeah. Mm. yeah. The other one that I like is about the caged bird. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay, so is there a sort of poetic song that we can play right now? Do you, do you know Baz Luhrmann? Baz Luhrmann's Everybody Wears Sunscreen. Baz Luhrmann, the movie... The movie producer, the right. director, yeah. Baz Luhrmann, he produced a song, the actual original written work or poem. Uh, it was actually a, a graduation speech by a writer. Um, Baz Luhrmann took that speech, recorded it himself, and added music from Moulin Romeo Rouge? plus Juliet. Ah. Romeo plus Juliet, yeah. Everybody wears sunscreen. That's quite an inspiring spoken word piece. Well, let's let's have a listen to it. We'll be right back with more Sunday Kind of Love on BFM 89.9. Ladies and gentlemen of the class of 99, wear sunscreen. If I could offer you only one tip for the future, sunscreen would be it.
The long-term benefits of sunscreen have been proved by scientists, whereas the rest of my advice has no basis more reliable than my own meandering experience. I will dispense this advice now. Enjoy the power and beauty of your youth. Oh, never mind. You will not understand the power and beauty of your youth until they fade it. But trust me, in 20 years, you look back at photos of yourself and recall in a way you can't grasp now how much possibility lay before you and how fabulous you really looked. You are not as fat as you imagine. It's a sunny kind of love. Welcome back. I have Will Beal, our favorite poet, here in the studio with us. What's up? Um, Will's been reading for us. Um, do look up the podcast where Will read several of his poems on a sunny kind of love previously. And if you missed any part of this show, of course, you can look up for the podcast later this afternoon. Um, you have another poem for us. Yes, I do. Yeah. It is about, well, I, I figured because we've already um, had a, quite a big few big issues today, um, feminism. Um, or womanhood, and then um, also tree hugging. Um, so I the figured environment, yes. The environment. <laughs> I think um, this is about white privilege um, in, in general. It's also my experience and also the experience of people I know. It's called Growing Up White in Asia. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> yeah. Now, why did you write this poem? I didn't write this poem. Um, it just kind of wrote itself at a time when I felt really angry and confused with um, a lot of the things that happened, especially the things that I grew up with. Um, when I was living in China for about three years, there was obvious privilege. When I when I moved here, it's not so obvious, but it under, if you look underneath the surface, you realize that privilege is kind of the buzzword of 2015, if you want to call it that. But it's, it's, it's a real issue that I, I believe we should be talking about. When you speak of privilege, what yeah. is it exactly that you mean? It means, for example, it doesn't relate just to race. It also relates to gender. So privilege in any sort of hierarchical sense, living in a patriarchy as a male, I would have more privileges technically than a female. And that's me not being sexist. That's just me being honest and open about certain wrong truths that exist in the world that we should be fixing but in order to fix them we need to recognize them as well and it doesn't just relate to gender it relates to race it relates to sexual orientation yeah it's a whole whole range of things it also relates to disabilities so it's it's just an an element of talking about privilege that that brings to light issues that we should be changing but in terms of being white in asia it just relates to a lot of things that people already know, and maybe um, certain people in Malaysia or you know abroad don't really recognize as such. So it's just a series of of wrongs that I would like to make right, and it's just a matter of talking about these wrongs and then figuring out how what's the solution to them. So this poem is called "Growing Up White in Asia." Growing up white in Asia always means upper hand in close quarters. 
means tear down an entire nation's cuisine, then insult them before dessert means walk into any rich housing community means talk louder than others means why doesn't anyone ever have an opinion means speaking too goddamn loud to hear all their opinions means drunk white 15 year olds tripping over their own privilege means not having to understand their language means not having to appreciate anything you don't understand means don't they have an English channel means housewife depression means husband cheats means get into any nightclub means glance at and with every white person you see means looking down means closet racism means racism means ignorance means bleaching all the hate speech out and calling it exotic ignorance means hate speech still sounds like hate speech no matter how you say it the tongue may differ the skin may contort but inside you is still white sheets and all manner of torchlight means here is your privilege it is malleable and served on silver platter everyone knows this you can tell means how do you give them back the platter means how do you begin to fix what your supposed forefathers did to them means how do you begin to fix what your supposed forefathers did for you Wow, I, that one really hit me quite hard as well. I mean, it's things that you don't really think about, yeah. but they are things that cross your path, yeah. that you do see. I'm really glad you brought all those examples and all those instances together into this one concise poem. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I mean, it's just a, it's a series of things and eventually you've you got to talk about it. It's hard though. Yeah. It's very difficult. It's it's hard for Asians, for example, to bring this up without being racist. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, you have to have those conversations in a, in a safe environment. Um, or sooner or later, it'll just keep continuing, I think. It also stretches quite far back in our history, you know, yeah. thinking about colonialism. So, yeah. you know, the fact that you brought up the forefathers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... Nah, there's, there's a lot of things that go back into it, but for me, it was it's just a matter of, of seeing wrongs. And it's true. It is in our history to think back to those times and, and, and just associate that with present day as well, when it's not the case anymore. And I, and I don't think it should be. Mm. Well, it's been a great pleasure having you here. Mm, you thank know, you for having me. Like I've learned a lot about poetry from you and about the culture of poetry. Great. And also it's been fun just sort of listening to different readings and different kinds of poems. And Absolutely. So hope to have you back again soon. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, if you guys are interested, you know, follow me at facebook.com slash willthebeal or soundcloud.com slash willthebeal. Yeah, hope to see you guys soon. And thank you, Maya, for having me. And happy World Poetry Day. Yeah, look forward to your upcoming book next Thank month. You. Yeah. Just before we go, I've got an interesting song to play before we make our poetic exit. <laughs> poetic exit, I like that. <laughs> yes, this is Regina Spector's Après Moi or After Me. And in the song, Regina references her Russian background by weaving lines from Nobel Prize winning author Boris Pasternak, who's best known for writing Dr. Zhivago. And what I never knew was that Pasternak was also quite a master of poems that flowed in a very lyrical, rhythmic way. And in the song, uh, Regina also mutters Pasternak quotes in Russian. 
So it's safe to say that his words add a layer of depth to this very powerful song. So happy Sunday, happy World Poetry Appreciation Day. This is Maya Tan and Mobile signing off on a Sunday kind of love. See you next week. BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, the business station.